Welcome back to In The Queue. I'm your first host, Andrew. And I'm your second host, Phil. Yeah. We are back with another episode uh, that we hope you're going to enjoy. As we mentioned in our last episode, we're going to be talking today about The Act of Killing, a documentary from last year that was nominated for an Academy Award. But before we get to that, we just want to go over the basics. You should come visit us at our blog which is www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, dot com. Uh, over there you can find our writings and musings as well as easy access to any of our podcasts. Uh, you should also check us out on iTunes. We are on iTunes. You can subscribe to this podcast there, and, uh, and we encourage you to do so for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also go to our Facebook page. You can find it on iTunes and Facebook by searching for In the Queue. Q is spelled out, Q-U-E-U-E. Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And, uh, yeah, there you You'll find uh, on our Facebook page videos and other sorts of supplemental things that we like to post. Yes. Um, to sort of, you know, um, augment or emphasize uh, shows that we've been doing. Yeah, and we also encourage you on that same Facebook page to... Give us suggestions of films that you would like us to talk about. Uh, we'll be happy to take those suggestions. Uh, in fact, in our next episode, we'll be doing one of those suggestions. So please come back and listen for that episode as well. Mm-hmm. But today, we're doing a film that I proclaim to be my favorite film of 2013. Yes. The Act of Killing. It is a documentary film. And it is about, it's sort of, it's a little difficult to describe exactly what it's about, but it's uh, the filmmakers of this film basically approached a group of Indonesian gangsters, basically gangsters who are now sort of running the country, uh, kind of uh, stand-ins for the politicians, uh, and they were responsible for, in the 60s, basically doing a sort of cleansing of uh, a political nature. They went around and they murdered all the communists or people who were suspected of being communists or basically any political dissidents, people who disagreed with them, that they would call a communist. Right. And they murdered thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, even upwards of, of millions, actually. Well, um, yeah, o- over... The entire thing, but these particular people right. individually murdered thousands. I think at some point in the film, it even says that uh, Anwar Congo, the the sort of central figure in this film, was responsible for something like three thousand deaths himself, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is absurd. But it's uh, it's essentially a portrait of these these men uh, through a very interesting device. Essentially, the filmmakers approached them and said that they would be willing to allow these men to tell their story by using the resources that the filmmakers are going to provide them to make a film. Mm-hmm. And they and they were allowed to make the film in whatever method they liked and with whatever sort of thematic elements they liked. So they kind of... The content of the film is them recreating these sort of atrocities that they committed in a cinematic form. And these are people who grew up watching gangster American gangster movies, uh, you know, in the, in the cinema and stuff like that. So they have a very, uh, kind of 
warped sense of reality. Like the 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 way that they recreate the atrocities is through the lens of these gangster movies that they grew up watching and they wanted to be like the gangsters in these movies. Right. And so it's this sort of weird reflexive uh, kind of way of looking. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it, absolutely fascinating. It's especially fascinating too um, from a filmmaker's perspective as well. Um, and yeah. the thing is the, uh, the film is, is peppered with these, uh, these scenes where, the the uh, the gangsters are reenacting their their crimes. Um, I actually, this will be an interesting discussion between me and Andrew because the version of the film that I saw uh, was the director's cut, which is yeah. considerably longer, almost an hour longer than the theatrical cut. And right. um, the way that the the director's cut was structured is that there would be long sorts of interviews with Anwar especially and then some mm-hmm. of his fellow gangsters who who committed a lot of the killings back in the 60s and then when it would jump to the the recreated movie scenes there would be absolutely no fanfare no transition no nothing from the documentary um to the uh the stage scenes yeah yeah um and and so the stage scenes are uh, very kind of sort of uh, pedestrian, I would say. Um, yeah. The the obviously these these gangsters are not filmmakers, um, uh, right? So they 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 create these very kind of basic basic archetypal scenes like an interrogation, or you know, oftentimes an interrogation because they're basically you know playing the role of the the murderers all over again. Yeah, they're playing their roles. They're playing themselves, yeah. or sort of strangely stylized versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And there's there's costumes, there's makeup, um, there's all these sort of like cross dressing. <laughs> there's this one character, one of the gangsters, who is always playing a woman. Um, he's yeah, all- and it se- it seems to be like a very rudimentary understanding of what comic relief is, is, is the prime motivation for this is that they, they just like, they just think it's hilarious to take this sort of rotund man. Uh, I think Herman Koto yeah. is his name and just put him in, in drag. And, and they just think it's, it's just hilarious. He seems to, he seems game. Like he's always, he, he's totally game. He's, he physically speaking of all the gangsters involved. Like he's the one who has the most, you know, feminine <laughs> physique, I guess. Uh, I guess. Because of his ample bosoms, uh, but yeah, he's he's always up for for going in drag, and he never seems to question, you know, his masculinity or anything like that. Um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about the the feel of the film. Sure. Yeah, the feel of the film is, I would say, like a heightened fever dream. It's it's yeah. surreal. Um, it it is even in the version that I saw. Even the the scenes that were just talking and dialogue and without any of the bizarre cinematic recreations, the this the surrealness was still present because here you have these people who look fairly ordinary uh, talking about and reveling in these stories of absolutely horrific atrocities of murder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and talking about what is the best way to kill somebody, what's the most efficient way to 
to to choke somebody to death, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feel of the movie reminded me of the very first film that you and I ever reviewed, Andrew, which was Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Yeah. The Pier, yeah. The Pier Paolo Pasolini film. And the, the similarities for me was both films deal with, uh, you know, a group of gangsters who are evil and they commit atrocities, but we are seen, they are seen in a very kind of almost banal, um, unthreatening way. Because um, mm-hmm. they're just sort of hanging around and talking, and and the the shooting style of of Salo and Active Killing is also similar in the sense that it's kind of detached. I would say, yeah, um, it's yeah. observational. Um, I would say so, and I think that that I think that that certainly in this case, and in the case of Salo to some extent, but certainly in this case, I think that that serves the film perfectly. I think that's exactly. I don't think that they could have involved themselves more and had it be as as fascinating and as uh and as uh you know revealing as it is Mm -hmm. because i think that that's one of the the great things about this film is the fact that because it's so observationally shot because it has this kind of detached feel to it the subjects are able to just wax philosophical. They just sit there. They'll they'll just talk. They'll they'll talk about everything. They'll talk with complete candor. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's a fascinating uh, way of going about it. Yeah, uh, and in a way, it was also a great way for the filmmaker Joshua Oppenheimer to build trust with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joshua Oppenheimer, he he speaks their language literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's able to communicate with them. They seem to trust him. Uh, in the version that I saw, the gangsters would would uh, would talk to him. They yeah. they would occasionally ask him a question, and you would hear his voice. Yeah, and that's absolutely yeah. in the other version too. Yeah. And um, you know, I think that they they trusted him. I mean, they had to have trusted him, and he was undertaking a very scary thing with this film. Um, yeah. and I think that he. He speaks. Uh, I don't know if the if the actual forgive my ignorance that the language is is considered to be Indonesian, but he whatever whatever the language is he speaks it fluently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he passes. He leaves the judgment for the viewer to to really you know pass on these guys. He doesn't he doesn't film them in in like uh, unflattering close-ups or or low angle shots or trying to make them appear monstrous yeah he, no. he just he just films them as they are and then lets the viewer sort of come to their own conclusion yeah and I, I think that that's that's crucial to the to the success of the film is just the fact that it, it is it is so detached um I think that 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 as I said it, it kind of allows for the the subjects to to expound upon their philosophies and their sort of way of looking at these horrible things that they've done. And, uh, and because of that trust, they really, they really, really open up and they get very, they get very, it's, it's an interesting thing. It it actually reminds me of, uh, in some ways of the movie monster, Mm -hmm. uh, with Charlize Theron, uh, from, you know, several years back, uh, 
which which was I, I love that film and I think that part of the reason that I love that film as much as I do is because it's really about sort of human side of this person that we label a monster right we label them as this this monster so that we can distance ourselves from them and say that they are not like us mm-hmm. right yeah they are we are unlike that person and uh, and that's sort of the whole I think thesis of that film is kind of trying to say no this is a human being who has done some terrible things yeah and who has uh, who is capable of doing terrible things but aren't we all essentially capable of doing terrible things given the cer- right circumstances and I, I feel like this movie sort of approaches the subject in a, in a similar way saying that these are these are human beings and the, and the way that they joke and the way that they you know play with each other and the way that they kind of uh, the rapport that they have with one another is really just seems like a, a, a few bros like hanging out together you know and having a good time and one of the bros Happens to be dressed like a lady. One of the bros <laughs> happens to be dressed like a lady, and all of the bros happen to have killed tens of thousands of people. Yeah, you know, and and that's uh, I think that that sort of gets at kind of the heart of this because they can be so cavalier about these horrible acts that they've committed. They can be so nonchalant about the fact that uh, you know they're recreating unbelievably terrible things. Is is really quite you know, shocking yeah, to watch very much. So and um, there's one because of, it, because they seem so, so genuinely human, you know, in the, in the way that they interact. The, the most disturbing conversation that, um, that I saw in the, in the film was this man who, uh, was recounting a story about his father who was a communist mm-hmm. and, uh, his father was, uh, was, was brutally killed, um, by the military, um, you know, gangsters who were overthrowing the government. Um, and, uh, and as he was telling the story, the man is surrounded by gangsters. So he knows, he knows who's listening. And, uh, and so when he's telling the story, he's, he's laughing and he's, 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 he's smiling and laughing about how his father was killed and how, you know, how he was traumatized as a child. And, and it reminded me of a scene where like, You've got somebody who's frightened in in like in a in a room full of tough guys, yeah. And in a way, for him to for this guy to sort of squeak by and and feel tough or feel strong, he has to sort of pretend like this thing that really shattered him doesn't bother him. He has yeah. to be kind of stoic, kind of like tough about it, you know. Like, oh yeah, my my dad was brutally killed, and I was. You know, but, uh, you know, and 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 of course, you know, the camera doesn't lie and it really it betrays his how uncomfortable he is in that scene. Like you can you can see it kind of in his face and kind of the way that he's yeah holding his body that like he doesn't this this does affect him. Yeah. Even though he's pretending like it doesn't. It's it's really oh, it's it's unbelievable. And the the main guy, Anwar, who is kind of the one that we follow throughout this story uh, you can tell that that he sometimes has these misgivings about what he's done, but then there's other gangsters who are absolutely remorseless, and they talk about killing people as if it was just a job and it had no effect on them whatsoever, no effect on their souls or their psyche. Yeah, yeah, seemingly so. I mean, it seems like they're truly the kind of like sociopathic folks, and then there are peppered throughout, including Anwar. They're peppered 
in there, like individuals who just think that it's wrong. There's one, uh, one of their guys, they, they call in and he comes in for like a day and he, he just sort of says to them, he, he kind of wakes them up. He's kind of like, this is messed up, man. Yeah. This stuff that we did is terrible. Yeah. Like I'm haunted by the ghosts of, of the, you know, the past. Yeah. This is, this is a horrible thing that we did. And the fact that we're making this movie is, insane yeah you know so the uh the style of this documentary is sort of what i would call meta which is a term that was mm. bandied about quite a bit while i was in grad school um, mm-hmm. because here we are you're making a movie about making a movie um and um the the technique and the style of this film is super super interesting and it's it's it sets it apart from really any other film that's ever been made. I'm not even joking about that. I yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's not even hyperbole, um, because I have a feeling that when the the filmmakers approached these um, gangsters about making a film and and filming them reenacting their killings, I think that what they were trying to go for is they were sort of counting on that this sort of forced, um, you know imposition would cause the killers to examine themselves. Mm-hmm. They yeah. would be forced to examine what they had done. So in a way it's kind of a, a without, without making it seem like it was being forced <laughs> with like g- giving them the control, <laughs> giving them the creative power right. to do this. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a trick. I was just about to say, this is super, <laughs> super manipulative on the part of the filmmakers. <laughs> I mean, yes, they, they, it comes across as them being ob- ob- observational and just kind of fly on the wall, just documenting things. It's a, it's a trap. It's a super, like, like crafty, um, yeah. tricky way to, to, to get a good documentary out of, out of a compelling subject. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, and any, anybody who thinks that they were just there to see what happens, no. I think that they were definitely savvy about what they were doing. And and I think that's part of what makes it so fascinating is the fact that they were able to basically trick these people into yeah. revealing their souls, you know? And it makes me wonder, what do the gangsters think about this finished film? You know? What yeah. Do, I, I haven't read anything about that. I don't know. I, it's the kind of film where, in the great tradition of tricky documentaries... I think that it would hold up for people who are critics of these gangsters as well as the gangsters themselves. I think that yeah. they would they, I think they would watch this film and be entertained and and then uh, if they if they come across scenes where one of them seems to be a little bit too sensitive about the about what they have done or or somebody who seems to be remorseful uh, they would just think oh you know he's he's a, he's a weak one. Like right, they, and they wouldn't. It wouldn't cause them to reflect any more than they had done when they were on screen. Yeah, yeah. they've already they they did what they had to do, and for the most part, they all seem to think you know they did the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's 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 fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. Um, and one of the things that was most fascinating for me was just the simple history of this. This isn't something that I wasn't I was terribly aware of. Um, just these, uh, the fact that these mass killings were carried out in Indonesia under the name of fighting communism, uh, when essentially it was just political murder. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like pro- political mass murder, uh, in order for, you know, 
one group to gain power in in the country, mm-hmm. um, which they maintain to this day, which is was fascinating to me that that this is it's the same people uh, who are you know uh, now you know fifty years later they're still in power. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Uh, but they, I think that it's you know there's so many different ethnic cleansings and genocides and everything that, that we're all kind of culturally aware of. Uh, but this was one that I was, I knew very little about. Yeah. Same here. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think that's uh, should come as much of a surprise given the sort of the isolated nature of the U S especially when it comes yeah. to matters in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I, but it's, but it, it actually, but it is a little bit surprising because this this is this type of um of mass killing uh is it, it approached you know like as i said earlier the total amount of killings was was around a million people yeah, yeah. um and that's huge yeah more than any other military coup or mass killing that i've ever heard about this film really lays it bare and 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 exp- and really shows us the 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 ground level meaning of of what it means to to really kill a million people by hand and and that's that's yeah that's one of the most unbelievable things about it is that like when you think about uh sort of a lot of the mass killings you think about bombings or you think about mass right. killings in gas chambers or you know sort of any any method that would be uh relatively easy to dispatch of a large numbers of people right but in this, it seems like every single person was killed by another person, yeah, hand to hand, by choking them or stabbing them or shooting them, um, like like and and we see these things reenacted, and it's it's on that level, it's extraordinarily disturbing to watch this film because you see you actually there there's a whole segment that actually gets repeated sort of twice in the film uh in very different light uh mm-hmm. that, that we'll talk about in a minute but uh scenes where for instance Anwar Congo shows us how he would go about choking someone to death mm-hmm. and what the most efficient way of choking someone to death is like you mentioned earlier uh and and you you're like oh, okay okay so that's what they do and then you you see him sort of paint the picture and he's like so this entire area would be full of people and we would ask them to come over here one by one and we would choke them to death mm-hmm. one by one um and and the reason that he came up with this sort of what he seems to think is an ingenious way of dispatching of people is because it was taking them too long to do it the other way and it was getting too messy uh because they were slipping on the blood by because they were bludgeoning people to death i guess yeah Prior to that, and and it and uh, you're just sitting there. I I mean I I my jaw was on the floor. I was, I just was astonished by the the ruthless efficiency of it. I guess the the pragmatism. Well, you know behind it, what, what the pragmatism exactly? But you know this is this pragmatism is how all mass killings are approached. Really, it just so happens that we have yeah. this access. To to hear and listen to what the the killers did, um, you know, like we don't we don't have that same kind of first person account anywhere else, really, in yeah. any other um, 
you know, sort of acknowledged, you know, genocide or mass killing in in history. We don't we don't have the the sort of the dubious privilege of being able to listen to what you know the the people who ran concentration camps say about yeah. it, how did how was what was their efficient method of killing people. If this is yeah. like our little like intimate chat with these guys. Yeah, but uh, so we we were gonna. It's really hard to talk about this film without also talking about the ending, um, which yes. is remarkable. So we'll let you guys know now. This is the spoiler part of this episode. Yeah, big spoiler alert yeah. here because we're gonna talk a little bit in depth about the ending of the film, which is really the most astonishing part, and what truly turns this from a really excellent film into a, I think, a great, yeah, great film. So okay, so spoiler alert starting now. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, when I was watching the film, I was definitely enthralled and uh, horrified. And um, when the actual ending took place, this is the ending. Anwar, for the first time in this exercise, participates in one of the uh, staged film, film, filming scenes, not as a, as a murderer, but as a victim. Yes. And in the, in the, uh, the shot... He is being uh, choked with a hood over his face. And uh, they do this scene twice. And after the second time, he's like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And more than that, it's an astonishing because, – because it's observational. We're just The camera is stationary and it's simply observing these guys making this film, essentially doing a, a take you know, uh, of a particular shot. They're just – you know, normal filmmaking practice. Mm-hmm. And he, as he's being, sim, it's, they're simulating choking him out. His arm just starts shaking uncontrollably in this kind of like involuntary way. Uh-huh. And it, it, it's, it's almost disturbing. It looks like he's having an attack of some kind and, and they, they cut, they stop the filming and his friend Herman Cotto comes over to him and, and sort of, you know, consoles him. Right. But it's clear that he is deeply, deeply shaken. Yeah. And terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, just the ghosts are haunting him, you know, like, like he, he is absolutely, uh, Guilty. Yeah, he is the only one, really, so far to to sort of betray that kind of remorse or that kind of feeling, and yeah. and this then the movie goes from there. He um, we see him uh, on the uh, sort of the the roof of this building where he talks about. Well, even before that, there's yeah. there's a there's a scene that he, where he sits down with his grandchildren to watch the movie. Uh-huh with them and sort of say, Hey, look, granddad's in this movie. Isn't it great? But it's this, it's this fascinating sequence where he is outwardly saying, isn't it great? But his face is betraying uh, like a depth of emotion that he is not verbalizing. Mm -hmm. Just, just, you know, he feels terrible, even though he's pretending like he's really proud of what, what it is that he's done. And then the movie moves on to the final scene, mm-hmm. which is where he goes to the rooftop. Yeah. And he, he's on the roof and the, this is a, he was, he was showing us that space before. 
as a place yeah, it's where what I was talking about earlier though. Yeah, where, where, where description where he was demonstrating how to choke a person he was talking about the bodies that were piling up and the blood that was spilling out and um, and so this is at night and he's just t- speaking extemporaneously to the camera covering basically the same ground that we've covered before because earlier in the film they had said he had said we're, we're gonna have to reshoot that like I didn't I didn't do it well. We're going to have to reshoot it. Right. And so he, um, he's, he's talking sort of like this confessional style, unprompted, just seemingly unprompted, just sort of talking about what's on his mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he starts to get to the topic of all the people that he killed. And this moment, I think, is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a film. Ever, he, ever. He, he starts to retch and... and choke and vomit and at the same time he loses control of his bowels and he's just farting and puking and and like you just get this beautiful feeling of of all the of all the shit and all the horrible things that he did in his life it's all just coming out now it's being released yeah and it's um the the toxicity and the pain and all the unnatural feelings are coming out like not not to sort of you know oversimplify this but it reminds me of like something from like the green mile, you know, where they're like all the, the the hatred and the evil is like spilling out of his mouth and, and he's talking and then he's like retching and and he's stumbling around and, and then it stops and it starts again. And, and and this is like an unbroken take almost. No, I mean, I I, I guess it cuts a, a couple of times, but it's like, you're just watching him. Yeah. You're transfixed by the, the, by, by his, his inability to to control himself like it, it's completely involuntary it's all yeah just something that he can't control it's all suddenly bubbled to the surface and it's just overtaking him it physically overtakes him literally yeah and and he's in a way it's 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 therapeutic for him because finally he reached a point where he can relax enough about what he did that it'll it'll just sort of come out and he can heal yeah. from it. And all the poison he's held within his body for 50 years is starting to, to come out. Um, yeah. And, and uh, the director, Joshua Oppenheimer, it's, it's an unflinching shot. It's an un, I believe it's an unbroken shot, actually. Andrew. I, I believe it is. Yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. and then it cuts to something else afterwards. But when he's actually on that rooftop, it's just a very sort of distant shot. He, he, they, they don't zoom in, which a lot of documentary filmmakers do during emotional moments, he yeah. just sort of, uh, Joshua just stands there and observes and doesn't say a word. Um, and it's, uh, it's the most fitting end that you could possibly imagine for this film. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect and stunning. I, I cannot remember having felt so sort of surprised and relieved and, sort of cathartic <laughs> as I did yeah. watching that sequence in this film. It's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And the fa- the fact that it's real and it's actually happening is all the more astonishing. Really, really impressive, impressive documentary filmmaking. And, and it should be said that this, this film was executive produced by both Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, two of the great, great, great documentarians of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I think that their influence probably had something to do with this. But obviously, you know, this is 
uh, sort of Joshua Oppenheimer's magnum opus. You know, I can't imagine what he's going to do next. I can't either. What's what's going to happen now? Um, but really, really, really an excellent film. As I said, my favorite film of last year. Uh, I think it's it's very much worth going to see. Um, check it out as soon as you can. You know, we we've talked about it being very disturbing, and it is at that. But it's not particularly grisly, or uh, you know, they don't they don't. It's not one of those documentaries where it like resorts to stock footage of terrible events or you know newspaper clippings or anything. It's all present day. Mm-hmm. It's all the men talking about the past, and even though some of the recreations that they do are weird and uncomfortable. Uh, it, it's it's disturbing on a more psychological level. Absolutely, yeah. Just because you're listening to these people describe horrible things that they did, and it's uh, it's horrifying enough without cutting to grisly you know, archival footage. It's just not necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that concludes our discussion of the act of killing. Uh, I think we both really loved it. Uh, I did. I know that much. How about you? Well, Phil? I don't know if I could say that I loved it just because of the nature of the film. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's an excellent movie. I, I definitely recommend it. So, yeah, it, it gets yeah. my endorsement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, and next episode, we are going to be doing another one of our listeners' choice films. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we had someone who... Uh, listened to our last listener's choice, which was Frozen, and uh, decided that Phil, who admittedly, who admitted in that podcast to not being uh, a tremendous animation buff, uh, we had one of our listeners suggest that we watch one of the great animators, which is Hayao Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to be talking about his classic film, Princess Mononoke. Was my mind changed? Tune in to the next episode and see. (laughs) We'll find out. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time around. All right.